Welcome back to Pas de Deux, everybody. Uh, today, we are kicking off our 2016 partnership with Dance Films Association uh, for their upcoming Dance on Camera Festival with a very special guest from DFA. Now in its 44th year, Dance Films Association has again collaborated with the Film Society of Lincoln Center to present the 2016 Dance on Camera Festival, which will be presented at Lincoln Center from February 12th through the 16th this year. Since its founding in 1956, DFA has been publishing in print and online, offering workshops, awarding grants, and organizing dance on camera since 1971, first as an independent festival, then since 1996 as a program at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. It screens internationally with 114 touring partners, the largest touring dance film program in a world increasingly populated with local dance film festivals. The New York Times recently quoted, admirably eclectic as ever, it reflects changing forms of camera work and editing, wraps in history and documentary, and ranges in subject from tap, ice, flamenco, and Asian idioms to ballet stars and modern dance choreography, established and experimental. As Clara said, today we have the honor of speaking with a representative of DFA, Bridget Green, who is the program's director. At DFA, Bridget facilitates the exhibition and creation of dance film from the perspective of a dance artist with a focus on storytelling through visual physicality. In her performance career, she's performed in series such as Performa, Prelude NYC, Catch, and Under the Radar. She works with Katie Rose McLaughlin and Animals Performance Group. Currently, Bridget is a cast member and Then She Fell, the Bessie Award-winning and critically acclaimed immersive dance theater production by Third Rail Projects. She also sings and dances with the band Friend Roulette. So we're excited to learn more about her background and dance on camera. Welcome, Bridget. Thank you. Thank Thanks you for, for joining me. us today. Yeah. Another Saturday morning interview. Not as early as the last one, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for being here. So... How long have you been with Dance Films Association, and what is your role specifically with Dance on Camera Festival? I've been at DFA for about five years. Um, I joined in 2011, and my my role now is as programs director, and that role has sort of, I guess, grown in since, since I started working there in 2011, and my, my current role for the festival is sort of doing additional programming, so that includes panels, workshops, festival networking opportunities, which is having pas de deux there as well. <laughs> um, and in past years, I've also sort of had more of a producing role, and that was that involved a lot of like filmmaker communications, print traffic, organizing the schedule, figuring out like who's introducing what, making sure there are enough chairs there uh, for all the Q&As, uh, running a mic at a Q&A, that kind of more like hands-on production work. And this year I sort of shifted my focus to do more of the uh, programming and uh, working with the, the curators to figure out what some of that um, additional kind of supplemental programming uh, is to the festival. Excellent. So what are some of the <coughs> supplemental programs we can look forward to this year? And are you making any changes or additions? You can also um, mention part of Yeah, <laughs> well, we have, yeah, well, we have uh, free panels. And so those are in the uh, Eleanor Buna Monroe Film Center at the, at the Film Society. And I helped s- sort of put together some of those panels. Uh, we're doing a works in progress screening, which I'm really wow. excited about. We normally have a works in progress anyways, but this year we uh, selected a uh, 
a film and a project from one of the applications to our uh, production grant. So DFA awards the production grant, and one of the awards this year was uh, having this works in progress screening opportunity. So that's with Alex Schilling, who's from Los Angeles, actually, and her work is called The Other Side of Stillness. Mm. And it'll include a bit of a performance... Uh, performance almost like a lectem like a performance lux- lecture demonstration oh okay and uh, so I'm really excited about that and sort of the synergy of like having a production grant and uh, selecting a works in progress at the festival from that pool of applicants so kind of tying in our year-round programming uh, we'll be having some workshops with Steps on Broadway so oh, before the festival you can new, go it? take some classes yeah it, yeah that's great so and you can take classes with some with like so, and and we we have yet to announce the teachers but they'll be related to some of the film screenings so it'll sort of be like go take a class and then see the film uh, or come to one of the panel discussions and you'll see how they sort of relate um and and same with movement research we're also doing a workshop with movement research and uh, we will be having an after party on the 13th, which is going to be really fun and Amazing. more dancing, yeah. not in a workshop setting. But in a <laughs> <party> setting. <laughs> what, what level are these classes? Like, could our listeners who are um, they are uh, the one with movement researcher will definitely be kind of open to all all abilities. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two workshops at, at steps might be a little bit more focused on technique. So someone who's interested in. I guess more of like a t- technical aspect of, of of dancing, but I think that it would still be open to anyone who's, you know, if you feel willing and able, then you should come and give it your all and just commit to it. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, that's great. Exciting. Um, and I think, oh, and uh, on Valentine's Day, February 14th, oh, yeah. we'll be having a bit of a, a, a speed dating, shall we say, but it's it's <laughs> it'll be more of a project consulting, like one-on-one with... Jess Nelson from Kickstarter, who's the um, who sort of runs the the dance category. Mm-hmm. So you can come talk to her about your project and spend Valentine's Day oh um, passionately oh. talking about your next dance film. That's <laughs> awesome. We have yeah. to do that. Um, so has there always been an after party? Is that new? There we have in years in years past. We have it's not been consistent. I would say, but usually the Saturday night program is. Uh, this year it's a shorts program, but we, we had a program on Yak Films a few years ago. Mm-hmm, I saw we that. also did like a Sigur Ross music video program uh, because Sigur Ross did that project a few years back where they invited a lot of filmmakers to make films and a lot of them were dance films. So we showed uh, all of the dance films from that project. Oh, that's great. So we tend to and, and so related to that, we've had some like parties related to those screenings. The guys from Yak Films came and danced at La Poisson Rouge, which I is think pretty I was amazing. There. Yeah, I think I remember that. Yeah. But I'm really excited because um, Jessica and I will be there this year on the 13th um, mm-hmm. on Saturday for uh, the day at the Dance on Camera Festival, and we'll be interviewing people. So uh, we'll interview some of the filmmakers, uh, and then we'll also do some roaming interviews, just try and get audience reactions and things like that. So. Um, it looks like we can party at the end of yeah. that, which will be fun. I hope everyone will come it's join us. It's going to be a very fun Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. Great. So the festival itself presents a wide range of dance films, from established dance forms to documentaries and experimental manipulation of the film medium itself. How are films selected for Dance on Camera Festival? The The model is basically submissions, Acquisitions and solicitations, which is a mouthful to say. Um, DFA has a, cu- a curator f- 
Liz Wolf and the Film Society has a curator, Joanna Ney. So together they co-curate the festival. So they are going through all of the submissions, watching all of the films. Uh, we use Submittable, which is a really easy platform, and you can go through and make notes and make comments. Um, and there's actually like a essentially a voting system, so you can kind of vote like yes, no, or maybe, and that that'll that'll tier all the films and so it makes it easy for them to see where both of their like ideas are <laughs> are falling and most of the the films that come through the submissions are short films but then also there also are a handful of the feature films as well so we 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 pull most of the you know the short films from all of the submissions and really actually look to the submissions I should preface as the main as the main way in which we are looking for films I okay. think that the the genre is a niche genre, and to see all of these submissions that we do get, it's pretty fascinating, and we want to support that. Like, we want to support the creation of dance film, and therefore it's really important for us to pull from the submissions to program the festival. And the acquisitions come from, uh, for instance, this year we're showing The Bandwagon, and so that that's the type of partnership where we're working with a studio to acquire the film so with our partnership with the film society they have relationships with many of those studios and so we then arrange for some of these studio pictures and so that's what I call an acquisition in some in some regard because we're essentially acquiring it and we will you know decide we want to show something that is potentially retrospective or is you know they're, they're not like submitting the bandwagon to dance on camera festival and then the solicitations comes from seeing films out there that may not potentially even consider i guess submitting to dance on camera for instance I saw a film called Trash Dance a few years ago at South by Southwest, mm -hmm. which is this beautiful documentary about this choreographer, Alison Orr, in Austin, who worked with the sanitation department in Austin to essentially choreograph this huge dance using all of the sanitation like trucks that's cool and workers <laughs> and like the the cranes and the the like sort of mechanics of like a garbage truck and like those like levers and incorporating huh. all of that into this huge like outdoor performance piece and so I saw that film there and then we reached out to them and ask them to submit. Uh, there's a distribution company called Icarus Films. We showed One Day Peanut Ask from them a few years ago and are showing another film from them this year. But sometimes they'll also reach out to us and be like, hey, we have a dance film. Or something that we think a dance film might really like. The film we're showing this year is almost even more music-based. It's really a longer process than just like the few months leading up to the festival. It's sort of one festival ends and then we start to prepare for the next festival just by way of, of having our eyes and ears open, seeing what comes into us. I have a tab in my email that says watch, and I just flag that watch and put it in a folder, and we'll go back to it. So if you send me something that's even in April or something after the festival before submissions have opened, I'll sort of tag it and catalog it in the back of my head and in my email and come across it again and maybe encourage you to submit or something something to that extent. So it's a fairly uh, organic process, and Liz and Joanna work really really hard and really well together to cultivate a program that is very diverse and is sort of made up of all of these facets, which is both like reaching out to the independent film world, also working with distributors and studios and, and yeah. that sort of full gamut. So this is really a partnership between the Film Society Society of Lincoln Center and Dance Films Association. And yes, very much so. Interesting. So it sounds like um, 
the biggest selection criteria is that they're looking for an overall diversity in just making sure that many art forms are represented. Yeah, there's, I pulled a quote actually from Joanna. This was from her in the press release, her quote. Mm-hmm. She said essentially that it's about diversity, passion, and commitment. And that's what all of these films reflect. Oh, wow. And I think she kind of brought Dance on Camera to the Film Society. Mm-hmm. And we're entering our 20th oh. year this year. So this is our 20th year partnering with them. And she's, she worked with them before um, in programming and press. This concept of diversity, both in, I think, subject matter, genre, style, can be huge in dance film. You know, there is, I think, an idea of what dance film is or can be, and maybe especially as that relates to the Hollywood side of things. And then on the other spectrum to the very, very experimental side of things. Mm-hmm. But what falls in between can be so, so, so varied and vast that there's they pay real close attention to to finding uh, the kind of minutia in that diversity and what that means and then this these concepts of, of passion and commitment you know we had talked about well what makes a good dance film or, or maybe I'm even like twisting those words a little bit but like what are the selection criteria which I guess is one way that you can kind of ask like oh like is this good or what qualifies this or who's deciding what's good and what's not good and the that sense of commitment and really seeing an idea from conception all the way to distribution so not only are the filmmakers who are submitting their work submitting strong work but I often I feel like have a, a really long vision for the film and understand mm-hmm. the the life of the film or the potential that the film can have and and therefore also are you know submitting and going okay if I get into dance on camera that's what this means in the in the film sort of history of 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 being seen and its visibility and I think that Joanna and Liz are really keen to that so they're they're selecting films that are well done and are like fully realized you know, we engage the filmmakers in a Q&A, and I think for many screenings, part of what makes a screening and a festival very exciting is having the filmmakers there. Mm-hmm. And so we do the best we can to have a representative almost for every single program there. Yeah. And that is, I think, part very much so part of the festival. It's not just like sit in a room, look at a screen, but it's more about sit in a room, look at a screen, but who else is in that room with you watching that film? Yeah, that's a lot. It's a great grassroots approach. I feel like you do sometimes see at film festivals some films that have been submitted because they knew they could get in and they didn't really care. You know, like the filmmakers aren't that invested. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's so cool, especially in this emerging art form that's still kind of low profile in the larger society to... um, to care in your selection about whether the filmmakers are really committed and really have yeah. that vision. I think that's and interesting. There's, and this back and forth that happens between sometimes for us, it's being able to include a film that is maybe even higher profile mm-hmm. and what that does to also sort of shake up the makeup yeah. of the festival. And recently we showed a uh, desert dancer, which had a, a theatrical release and oh. was more of a studio type picture but it was a new release for us it was essentially like an early an early screening in new york before they even opened theatrically mm. and they were so excited to be there richard raymond was the director and oh, he was there wow. the producer sarah Arison was there and they were so excited to be there and to be included in a dance film festival their film is about dance but it's also it was very it's very also like political film but you know the, the that there's an avenue for a specific dance 
audience was really exciting for them. And it was so exciting for us to have them there and for that kind of excitement to be so palpable. Um, So the, you know, sort of that, like shaking it up, I guess, that that mixture of what what's high profile, what's not, but also how do they interact? I think in all art, I mean, that's yeah, that's like a huge, you know, (laughs) we love both highbrow and lowbrow. Yeah, (laughs) as we've spoken about. So what fascinates us about dance film as an emerging genre is that technology becomes a part of the creative process rather than just a tool itself, extending dancers' possibilities beyond what the traditional stage setting affords, and new opportunities arise with new tools at filmmakers' disposal. As prefaced during the San Francisco International Film Festival in 1998, They quoted, no art form has shown more vitality or greater innovation in recent years. How does the Dance on Camera Festival, or how has Dance on Camera evolved over the years as the idea of a dance film has changed and taken shape? That's really a big question. (laughs) Uh, When I read this, and, and that quote specifically, it's maybe even not an emerging genre, but like it is something that is still almost low profile but somehow suddenly dance film is popping its head out it's like Mm -hmm. hey i'm here (laughs) so the i feel like that dfa and the dance on camera festival has really evolved or matured with it in from the perspective that it's actually been around it from the very beginning but it's i mean dfa is turning 60 we also have a ton of archival footage, a ton of archival print material, which I find to be kind of some of the most fascinating. Yeah. And I was going through some of these old newsletters that we had, just wanting to like get a sense of the temperature and some of the different decades of what was going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the something that I came across was like how to videos being a huge thing oh. that was being talked about and the importance of them in order to carry on legacy, carry on a choreographer's legacy and, you know, preserve a dance necessarily. So like a how-to video becoming like a form of preservation at the same time. And that DFA at some point was actually distributing these. And DFA for a long time was really a, a distributor. And there's all these correspondence and letters with Susan Braun, who was the founder with her and different art houses, different universities and schools throughout the country. And they were asking for certain tapes of different dance films. And so DFA's evolution of it has kind of also like evolved, I guess, alongside technology. But I mean, we don't really do distribution in that sense anymore. We have mm. a touring program, which is a little bit more of like a curated um someone will come to us and we'll help them curate a dance film program, which is a little bit different than like real distribution. But for a while, DFA was doing real distribution. But then it's like the distribution Ah. model shifted. Then that became less of a need for us. And so then, you know, our focus became more on presentation and those sort of presentation opportunities for the filmmakers. Okay. And maybe in a time, you know, when it wasn't as much do-it-yourself. And then as it starts to move into more of the do-it-yourself thing, I, I find that now we're really focused on, like, serving the artists and trying to get mm-hmm. the artists' tools and so that they can sort of also participate in this DIY environment. Yeah. This archival material would be so fascinating to see. Is yes. there a way that the public can access that? Well, we are in the midst of a, a major archiving project mm-hmm. um, that is... That is huge. I mean, an archiving project is you have to figure out 
where you're going to store the actual tapes, how you're going to preserve the actual tapes, how you're going to digitize those actual tapes, how you're going to store the digitized versions of those tapes, how you're going to make sure that those hard drives can be updated and where those hard drives stored. And then like what cloud are they stored on? And then what platform (laughs) do you design on a website and what server do you use? I mean, it's the, the amount of things that have to happen for the physical like sort of for all for all of those steps to be um, like fully completed so that it really is truly accessible is is immense. Mm-hmm. And we're in the start of that. So we're sort of in this like early stages of seeking funding and partnerships. But there's also and then also all this print material, you know, scanning it, saving all the print material somewhere, making sure that it's it's stored and and having some of these older newsletters accessible. We are sort of doing a take on some of these. This is one of the reasons I was going through all these newsletters is as I also do our year round programming. And so I'm programming our Dennis Film Lab this year. We're taking like old ideas from old newspaper, like old newsletters and figuring out how those make sense in today's world so there was like there was like this amazing technical topic written by Virginia Brooks who was editing the magazine or in the newsletter in the 1970s and she's on our board still and it was a technical topic someone had a question about 35 millimeter prints and the sound strip and how that works and what you do and so that's like being discussed in this newsletter Oh, wow. So, you know, one focus is like, how can we, like, what does sound mean in dance film? And, now, and like, now what do you have to consider when making a dance film and using sound? Um, and these how-to videos, there's a, one newsletter about MTV and, like, how that's going to change the climate of oh my gosh. of dance film and, like, yeah. the screen size. So Interesting. That's it's so fascinating. Quite, I wish I had all of the stories at, like, the tip of my tongue because <laughs> I was just sitting there going, yeah. what? Um, oh, and then there was this amazing <laughs> one. This was the most amazing one that was about emerging media and technology. And it starts out talking about there's all this new media available to you. But what's the biggest one and what's going to be like, you know, probably the most important one that you need to learn about? And I kid you not, in like with a two word sentence, it goes the Internet. I mean, back to your question, like how has DFA evolved? There's still a lot of growth that we can do in terms of presenting, I think, and really interacting with media, transmedia, bringing dance into the full media landscape. So I think that DFA has a lot to go in that direction and even the evolution of VR and what that does oh my God. to dance, so which fun. is a so lot. <laughs> and there are people playing with that already for certain. Yeah. So And for us novices out there, what is VR? Basically, like, you have this 3D footage, and I think when you wear the goggles or the whatever, the headpiece, when you turn your head, they kind of, you know, however it works with the camera, recognizes that you're turning your head, and it shows you the piece of footage um, that's sort of at that angle away from your eyes. So it's as if you're watching it in real time, even though it's a video. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sort of feels like a video game as well. Yeah. You know, kind of crossing video game and, like, Mm. yeah film art if that's yeah a thing the new york times recently had an article about google's uh cultural institute who i really want to work for uh they've put whole museums online yeah. they've put all this art online right. it's amazing and their next thing is using this 3d camera technology um to capture performances on yeah. stage and there's a lot so like cool. there are limitations to it i was recently at a, a festival and was like sitting in on this on a panel and some of the limitations include, like, you'll be able to see a boom 
or yeah, your the person holding the camera or <laughs> yeah, the camera operator. <laughs> so you have to like construct these spaces, like use all um, use all practical lighting, like a lamp. Over- you yeah, know, or you, you can do or you can or... figure yeah, but you essentially have to like really think of the full experience. And so from a, coming from a dance perspective, people who are like dancers who are used to that sort of th- those sort of limitations I think are could actually be of immense use. And even if just even just thinking about, I mean not even the technical part of it, but just the sense of movement. Yeah. And like how to navigate and how to orchestrate like navigating through space. The possibility for dance and choreographers and the and for choreographers to really be like movement analysts and movement specialists in the world of VR, I think is is very possible. Interesting. Mm. Like like consultants on like set. Like consultants mm-hmm. on set, yeah. Like not making dance moves, but like consulting movement on set. So I'm gonna be an advocate for that. That's so that interesting. Many, I didn't think of that. Maybe hopefully choreographers will get uh jobs yeah <laughs> jobs in that that's all <laughs> I'll, I'll advocate for that need <laughs> that's so cool this is blowing my mind i don't fully grasp what vr is but it's very interesting <laughs> i mean the whole thing about putting a, ca- a 3d camera on the stage uh, i think it'd be kind of like probably hanging from the ceiling you know and just capturing what the dancers are doing is so cool for so many reasons i think it could if you can get people to watch that footage and to watch that and have that experience i think it could make people so much more interested in dance yeah which we always come back to but really just show them what it's like to be on stage yeah. and have them feel that i mean yeah. it's one of the best feelings so mm-hmm. um, i'd love to circle back to something we kind of started touching on before which was related to the curatorial vision mm-hmm. um, of dfa I've always been impressed going to your festivals um, by the range of films you feature that would seem to define dance film in different ways. Mm-hmm. There's uh, a lot of experimental kind of um, performance art pieces, I would say. There are more traditional narrative pieces. So how do you personally define dance film and how is how is the festival, I guess, how are the festival curators mm. kind of defining it? What makes something to them a dance film versus a piece that wouldn't qualify as dance? Well, I think when I sent you guys my bio, I was like, oh, can mm. I make this small adjustment? I was sitting there trying to figure out what, how this sounds and how this works. But to describe dance film as storytelling through visual physicality, I really like to experience dance film that is very physical and visceral. I don't mind if you don't do a single move. I am extremely drawn to films that have unbelievable, like palpable, like physical understanding, I think. Mm -hmm. And that you can tell a story really through physicality. And maybe this is a way of reading someone's behavior, you know, like like nonverbal communication. And, you know, when someone's like slouched in a chair, you can go, oh, maybe they're having a bad day or something. (laughs) But that sense of reading the body so that it's less about it's less about maybe express expressivity through mm. dance moves and more about expressivity through physical awareness mm. and how how to tell a story that way. I showed this film bad at dancing at this festival Kukuloris that I helped program their dance film shorts for. And I don't think when they made that, they intended that to be a dance film. It's more about relationships. Essentially, the main character is having an, an identity question in terms of like, who is she? What is she doing here? 
And at one point, she kind of uses this idea of her being bad at dancing as a way of saying, like, this is how I'm, like, uncomfortable and awkward at things. Mm -hmm. And there's this, like, great dance scene. And it is not at all about the moves, the choreography. It's about her embodiment of that understanding of being, like, bad at dancing as a way of expressing and narratively speaking as well, like, what does it mean to be uncomfortable and to be awkward and to be into questioning, like, being in your own skin and, like, how do you find your own skin, kind of? Wow. And so I put that film, like, in the middle of a dance block that was around, like, some more dancey films. And, like, the way that it kind of shifted the tonality of, like, what does it mean to, like, embody something in the whole program was, was really so exciting. And it, as a programmer, mm. to see the audience react to it was so amazing and I I really I was really excited to see that happen so that's to say that I sometimes like to include films that sort of push that yeah boundary of dance film and maybe the people that are making it are not even thinking about that at all yeah mm-hmm. um this film Uncertain Terms that I saw the other night it's on Netflix and I watched it on Netflix the filmmaker um Nathan Silver I actually met a few years ago at Dance oh. on Camera because he was helping out with the Joffrey uh, Mavericks of Dance film he was just like on their team and I think he was like there helping sell DVDs you know but he's an incredible filmmaker he's had a ton of films come out a bunch of them have been on you know all the kind of top top movie lists of the year New Yorker New York Times and this film Uncertain Terms he starts with this shot of this girl just walking down down this like path and in the woods she's calling someone and like I think she can't get through them or she's listening to a voicemail something to that effect but it's just this very very long shot all the way down hmm. before any of the opening credits and at the end she just turns it around and like looks straight into the camera and then yeah. it cuts to the title card uncertain terms and that shot was so incredible yeah and it was so physical and visceral and it was that shot to, to me was like a short dance film in and of itself absolutely so i i really pushed for that sort of storytelling through like visual movement and and narrative and I guess I use the word storytelling a lot because often people can think oh dance film is abstract there's Mm. no story (laughs) there's no narrative and I think that uh, that's an easy thing to say but that actually more often than not and there is a story and there is a narrative but it's Mm -hmm. just not maybe linear it's it's not verbal there's Mm -hmm. you know it's not about dialogue so I really, I really like to say that dance film is about storytelling. Of course. And to encourage that, like, visual and physical storytelling. I love that. I love the physical, visceral physicality without dance movement. Yeah. So mm-hmm. what, just to help round out the understanding of this concept, which I think makes sense abstractly, <laughs> what about that first shot that you just described really well made it visceral? What made it physical? something about the attention to time and duration in regards to an action. So this actress, the choice being the directive from the director, yeah, being just keep walking, and when you get to the end, turn around and look into the camera. Those are physical actions. Mm-hmm. So the, those directives are physical actions. Those directives are not a- acting directives, not like feel sad and then... It's not about, I guess, feeling necessarily. And also... Also, I don't know what his directives were. Yeah. They could he could have given her potentially, you know, acting directives that resulted in her choosing those physical actions. And she must have done something right, even if it wasn't an emotional beat, to make you have to yeah. react to that in a way that felt like it was physical. And even without seeing the film when you were explaining it, um, I connected with that direct physicality. I immediately 
made a scene in my head that mm. to me was actually very powerful. Yeah. So, I mean, even without seeing it, just that direct physical movement and something as simple as looking yeah. can say a lot. And I think it was also just a bold choice to open a film that way. Mm-hmm. Before you even see the title cards or anything, it was like, here we are, we're dropping into it. I feel like dance filmmakers have to make bold choices a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I respond to that. Like your choices for entering and exiting, which I learned in my dance composition classes, but as a technique to filmmakers, mm-hmm. think about your entrances and exits, both in framing and in editing and in sequencing. Mm-hmm. So Very good point. in a way that like you are on a stage and you can enter the stage and you exit the stage, but that those moments are really important moments. Yes. And they can ha- they happen both at the beginning and then at the end of the film, but are also constantly happening every time you have a new frame. And so to make those bold choices with entrances and exits, for me, and this is my own frame of reference, just reminds me of choreographing. Yeah. I think the same could be said of many things, of writing, Mm -hmm. of speeches. I saw a random quote recently in Elevator TV in our office building (laughs) that said, your first sentence is the most important in a speech. That's what people will hold on to, and it establishes your credibility. Mm -hmm. So it's a very good point. Last impressions, I guess. Um. I want all of my entrances to be with a poof of smoke. <laughs> we can all, our entrances. ideal entrance. This will, that'll be in my rider. Uh, this is my ideal entrance. Uh, and a feather bow. Please. <laughs> yeah. You said dance filmmakers have to make bold choices. Why do dance filmmakers in particular have to make bold choices? I think I say that coming from a sensibility that dialogue is better understood language has some more has different sort of complexities to it yeah but also is how we communicate mostly and i think that in in dance and performance and in dance film not needing to rely on that and sometimes filmmakers do like use narrative and use dialogue and i love that and i think that's is in itself a bold choice because you're a dance filmmaker deciding to use language. But I think that's maybe where that comes from. We are used to using language to communicate. If you do, if you are committed to communicating something, if you want to do that through your, through your film, then you do have to really work hard. Okay, that makes sense. It's almost like they have to make maybe larger or more obvious gestures to convey something that would be said more yeah. simply in language right so. and if they didn't and, and then you come into style it's like yes. i'm thinking of ballet like ballet has very specific gestures that are like you point to a finger if there's like a wedding or a marriage in a ballet mm-hmm. or if you're like someone's beautiful it's like the caressing of the, the like, face you, yeah you like circle <laughs> the face like ah. so in ballet yeah. they've developed like this vocabulary sign language so yeah sign language <laughs> yeah so and but if in a dance film you're like well i want to say marriage but i'm not i don't want to you know point to my finger and go Haha. like how do you finesse the subtlety and and also make bold choices at the same time that's hard yeah and <laughs> there are some people who are very 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 good at that <laughs> well i suppose dance filmmakers in particular struggle with this because film whether one wants to make it more accessible or not or likes it or not if you're putting dance on film film is making dance more accessible uh, to a wider audience hopefully for the better and with a dance audience, you can totally present a dance show and know that your audience is probably going to be like from the dance world and understand certain things. But with film, yeah, how do you, if you want to s- tell a specific story or make a specific point, even in a s- one small section of the film, yeah, you have to somehow figure out how pro- possibly, hopefully, a larger audience is 
going to understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And like what their context, like what the context is. Yeah. Um, uh, like where are you where are you showing the film? Where's it going to live online? What platform? Who's going to see it? And yeah, what theater? And sometimes like thinking that through a little bit can also help. And also, like, stick to your guts, you know? Yeah. That I find choreographers and dancers are really good at, or and crave that, or desire that, and can really work from that place, like a place about impulse. Um, I love that, working from a place of impulse. So once a film is presented at Dance on Camera Festival, what are the options for the filmmakers from there? Most of the time... A lot of the films will live online after that. Where they live online or how they live online is going to be different. And then it's also, like, on top of that is also doing the festival circuit, Dance Camera West, San Francisco Dance Film Festival, Cinedance, Loika Dance Film Festival, Choreoscope, some some of these, like, larger dance film festivals, then some of these other festivals that are including dance in them as well, Um, like this festival, Kukulores, that I have helped program, that have, like, a dance films shorts block. Uh, and then also just being in the festival circuit at regular, in quotes, like festival or something that doesn't have a particular dance film focus, but is still you know, has a variety of shorts programs. So we'll include short films anyways, but also for, for feature films, like the festival circuit is similar, maybe, sure. maybe a little bit different. Sometimes I think dance films have a little bit easier time in the larger festival circuit as short films, but so. like documentary. Well, first position was a fairly large documentary dance oh, film. I loved it so much. <laughs> and it did like the festival circuit, um, ballet 422, yeah. the Misty Copeland doc, like some of these docs these dance documentaries um do really well in the festival circuit and then there's online premiere nowness which is based in the uk has a dance a specific dance film platform i've and i've discovered dance yeah. films through nowness like i'll go and look at it and they have like a section that's just dance C- celia rosenhall has had a lot of like online video premieres and she's well-known dance filmmaker who just finished her first feature Ma that had a works in progress screen at Tribeca and premiered at Venice is a feature narrative no dialogue some of the other some of the other things that DFA does to specifically help is that we have a touring program that we've had for I think the past like a little bit over 10 years now and so we work with a lot of universities and colleges and other art programs and institutions that would like to have a dance film screening. We help curate dance film screenings. We select films from past festivals. And normally we look back like two or three years. We also work with VHX, which is an online distribution platform. And you can you can use it yourself. So you can upload your own films to it. Future films often will use VHX. Yeah. And we have these curated short film packages. Like you can rent them like anyone listening yeah. can rent them and watch some of the shorts from the previous festivals we also have some panels up there and then we will also sell those to high schools or to colleges universities and we pay all of the filmmakers for these so they get like a percentage of the income from from these sales mm-hmm. yeah i mean it sounds like you guys do a really good job on this kind of grassroots level of getting um filmmakers the support that they need on that level whereas a traditional you know big film festival will have all kinds of distributors and distribution deals taking place like dance film doesn't have that yet yeah yeah and I mean and I mean there's not even necessarily that for short films like Mm -hmm. that like traditional distribution for short films is not really a thing yeah it's still not there you know so it's like about creativity so we're getting close to time but we definitely want to talk a little bit about 
your other life, <laughs> your moonlighting as a dancer. Yes. <laughs> Bridget does come from a dance background. <laughs> Surprised everyone listening. So um, we're curious uh, to hear about some of your performance highlights as a dancer. Um, and along with that, mm-hmm. you dance with Then She Fell, which is this incredibly interesting interactive theatrical work uh, similar to Sleep No More. So we'd love for you to describe that show and tell us about the experience of taking part in it. It's funny because when I'm writing my bios, I usually say I moonlight as program director. (laughs) (laughs) During the day, you moonlight. (laughs) Yeah, I moonlight during the day, but I work at night really as a performer. So I've been in Then She Fell for almost three years now, and I mostly play the role of the Hatter. It's a the, Then She Fell is based on Alice in Wonderland and the writings of Lewis Carroll, and it's a two-hour immersive dance theater show, 15 audience members per show. Oh, small. It's very small, yeah. Very it's cool. very intimate. Huh. <laughs> it's very much so about intimacy, like not necessarily in a sexual way, but intimacy right. in like personal relationships. It's an interesting life to spend uh, a lot of your time in an in immersive theater <laughs> and we've actually we realized before we came into this just came to a show that I was in and mm-hmm. I was like oh you look familiar oh, <laughs> yeah and you were before you were really great in the performance I remember enjoying my encounters with you oh thank you <laughs> I I come from a dance background. You know, I was a ballet head, so far removed. A ballet bun. A ballet bun. <laughs> a bun head. A bun head. A bun head. Oh, my God. I can't remember this. I was a bun head. So far removed. For a, very, for a long time when I was in high school, and I actually still love ballet and my, like, physical clarity, like, where I can really find, like, my physical grounding. Often, like, I really go back to that ballet world and that kind of plumb line, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I went to NYU and you know, became more and more exposed to different kinds of dance and performance. And then post-NYU, started working for DFA and was performing and, you know, kind of... I wasn't really even freelancing because I wasn't making money. Yeah. (laughs) But I was just performing in, like, small opportunities. I did some of my own work. And then... Oh, cool. I met Zach Morris through DFA because he used to run our dance film lab. Yeah, he was organized it and moderated it, and he's one of the artistic directors of Third Rail Projects. And I decided at one point I'm gonna go to an audition for Then She Fell, even though I know Zach from a dance film perspective, from like an administrative perspective. It's like I'm gonna push that relationship and yeah. and sort of show him that I'm also a performer. Mm-hmm. And that was hard for me actually. I remember asking one of our board members at the time like could I make that professional jump and this is very early on in my career and that happens all the time and now I've you know been around a little longer I I really understand there's a lot of like osmosis happening but at first that was something that I I didn't know how do you interact with someone from like a kind of administrative professional and then move into a performance environment with them because it's very it's very different in terms of the kind of vulnerability that you're exposing like as as yourself um and I've learned an incredible incredible amount from being in the show I came from a dance background in the show I act a lot I sing and I've really understood what it means to be a performer that is different Mm. than being a dancer not just from the fact that I'm singing and acting you know going back to what we talked about in terms of performance and and feeling and emotion and action and in in dance and in film like how that also translates very much so into performing um but there's also this difference about performing where you do something during the day and then you also and then you show up at a theater and you know how to kind of like turn on 
like what is that transformation that you take as like a person yeah. to be in the space to perform when you're especially in then she fell which is extremely intimate and you know i'm face to face with strangers like with every the night. audience yeah, yeah with the audience like you're mm-hmm. very like and we're very close mm-hmm. and like that sort of revealing of oneself that sense of vulnerability and like self and like locating yourself yeah. in it. And, and it's an incredibly fun role. I mean, I can't even, it's so fun, but I found like that spectrum of like how much I'm myself and how much I'm, and how much I'm also embodying a character and, and where that line is, is so fascinating. We should clarify just in case anybody oh. isn't um, familiar in this type of theater, there's no stage. It's like the audience is just wandering yeah, around the space. An, it's and it's like face built into an old schoolhouse, So there's really no, you're so wandering cool. around a, this building that's been outfitted and so in a way actually it's very much so like film because it's like on location essentially (laughs) and I I think I just passed like 500 shows and um I wow I was watching a lot of films and I took I had like a, a week or so off from performing and I it felt good to like sit and watch other people and not be watched and I came back and I was in the show and it's like wow this is like so different for me this feels really different to think about that as if I'm being watched by a camera I mean I'm even actually interested in in acting in film more as like a step like as sort of after immersive theater (laughs) like where do you go next like how do I take these skills of being able to like they're very interesting skills you learn yeah I think they can transfer yeah sure Um, yeah I mean, there's nothing more nerve-wracking for a lot of us than having a camera pointed at you, and it's an inanimate object, so yeah, why? Yeah, but I think yeah. you're hitting on something yeah. there. Yeah, it's so revealing. I do not like watching myself on film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, like, I've actually never, ever seen myself from Then She Fell because there's no filming of it, which I love because mm-hmm. it's, like, you just ha- it's about that impulse. You just have to mm-hmm. kind of know what you're doing and, and be in it. You have to really be in it. You have to like land in it and be there. I think it would be fascinating for an audience member in Then She Fell to wear a head camera yeah. and yeah. just go through yeah. it and see yeah. what happens. <laughs> well, I think that's all we have time for. But thank you so much. Yeah. This was really informative and very really fun and a great way to kick yeah, off um, and thank thank you guys also for doing this and for uh, giving voice to like dance and dance film now and i'm really excited to be a part of it and we're really excited to have you at dance on camera as well yay so, we're very excited to be there looking forward to seeing you bye everyone <laughs>